prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. Episode 59, 10 away from the magic number of 69. I'm your host, Cam, along with JB. This is the first time we're recording since we've been back from the cabin, actually, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Hell yeah. Miss my friends. Uh, It seems, knock on wood, knock on wood, it seems like we have escaped COVID-free. Yeah. Everybody from the trip. So, uh, to everybody that said it was irresponsible, you're right, but we made it, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Were people really saying that? Probably not, but I guarantee you there was like a contingent of people that were like, a retreat in this climate? You know, I'm sure, you know. And then reposting all the Met Gala shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Which, by the way, I thought Kim Kardashian looked sick as fuck. I did not see anything other unless it was funny. I didn't see it. Yeah, everybody was like, she was literally just like wearing like all black, like and even covering her face, so she looked like Noob Sebot from. Uh, oh, I did see her. I didn't know that that was um, okay. Yeah, she looked like Noob Sebot with a with a flowing gown. Is, is that supposed to be like cross promotion for Kanye's album or? What? I don't know, man. Who knows? I just, you know, I just thought she looked like the uh, the all black dude from Mortal Kombat that was just like yeah. a shadow. So I thought that was pretty yeah. sick. Besides that, you know, I didn't really, uh, I can't really recall any of the outfits. It'd be uh, funny as well, fuck. Well, if that's there not was true because a... you you posted on the Gutter Boys page one of the outfits. Did I? Yeah, I the remember. Steely Dan joke. Oh yeah. Oh oh right right the peg thing the bulletproof vest that said peg. Okay. Yeah, which was Cara Delevingne or whatever. Um, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> yeah, I, I only knew because I saw the caption. And I know the name, but I have no idea, you know, what she's done. So, yeah. There was a post today that somebody sent us that uh, somebody, like, had just, like, screenshot their notes app. Mm-hmm. And uh, it said, funny thought. Cartoonist kayfabe is like the Joe Rogan experience and the gutter boys are like come town and it's like oh yeah I saw that yeah yeah it's like well I mean you know I guess that's a funny thought we've been saying it forever so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so two uh, news let's see first off and foremost capitalism baby gutter boys shirt three is out a collaboration with artist Brian McRae uh, we call him Bam McRae on here sometimes uh, you can actually find him on Instagram at Bam McRae and uh, it's an Alfred E. Newman uh, rip and it says what me problematic underneath it uh, pocket print that says gutter boys on the front yeah pocket you- pussy yeah, exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And if you uh, want to go ahead and order that, fuck, I forgot our big cartel. Let me look that up real quick. Gutter Boys. It's either Gutter Boys Podcast or Pod. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, it's been a while. 
I don't know, guys. Just Google it. Yeah. Or something. Uh, or we'll it link is, it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's gutterboyspodcast.bigcartel.com. Today is the first day they are on sale. We'll leave the uh, pre-orders up for 10 to 14 days. I haven't decided yet. Probably 10, maybe 14. We'll see. But um, yeah, it's <laughs> a uh, double-sided print, black and white colorways available. You can see the design on our Instagram at gutterboyspodcast or just go straight to gutterboyspodcast.bigcartel.com. We appreciate the support, folks. Uh, everybody that's bought shirts from us so far. And we love Brian's work, so you know it's a win-win situation uh we're looking forward to providing more merch for you all and uh this is just the next installment of that yeah we already have like two shirts after this lined up too yeah i think yeah for sure for sure i know that uh caroline cash's shirt is eventually going to make its way out and uh what's the other one i forgot i just know that we have a yeah couple. we got a, we got a couple people <laughs> that we've talked to um about shirts yeah. so yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh so newsworthy things archie comics acknowledged the uh fact that we all know here at gutter boys headquarters that dudes rock this really isn't news they just posted a four panel strip that's actually just like so stupid it's funny it's like a bunch of girls at the skate park and they're like where are all the boys and uh, it's your typical four panel setup first three panels are the girls like skating and realizing how sick it is that there's no boys around and the fourth panel shows the boys and it's uh, Archie and Reggie having a contest on who can shove the most rocks in their pants so <laughs> dudes do rock in Riverdale baby <laughs> I feel like the writer of that definitely has collected or seen a bunch of those uh, boys chat versus girls chat memes oh i'm sure they already i uh quote tweeted the uh tweet where it said dudes rock and i was like give these motherfuckers an eisner and of course <laughs> the uh guy i don't know if he vanity searched or what uh replied saying i've been saying this all along well buddy let Damn. me tell you right now that i wasn't serious with my words here but i do like that dudes rock exists in riverdale i don't think that you deserve an eisner for that alone though oh fuck it you no. know what yeah maybe maybe you should i don't know it looks like a web comic man i don't know <laughs> 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 is that going to be printed or is it just digital? Probably digital only. It's called like Little Archie or like oh, Bite okay. Size Archie or okay. something. Yeah, yeah. All Probably right. some stupid like B-Y-T-E sized Archie. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, in other very important news, some person named Alexa DeCampi on Twitter. Alex. Who I, oh, it's Alex? <laughs> I thought it was Alexa. Okay. Alex DeCampi. Uh, yeah. Alex DeCampi. Uh, I don't know what they do in comics. What are they, like a writer? Yeah, they're a writer. They've written um, oh, a who bunch cares? of stuff anyway, over so they posted, yeah. uh, they posted something. <laughs> what, what was it again? It was like, uh, why do, was why do guys thing. love Swamp Thing so much? Don't at me or yeah, something. They, <laughs> some, some let me pull up the tweet. Like it's so uh, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was stupid as fuck. It was pretty much like them like being like, men be shopping. <laughs> and then it blew up in their face. All right, so here's the tweet. Alex DeCampi. Oh, it's been deleted, yeah, deleted but yeah. because I quote tweeted it, uh, of course, you know, I can still see it. What is it with dudes and Swamp Thing? Why do you love the character so? Is it because most Swamp Thing writers put in lots of literary refs that make you feel smart when you catch them? Educate me, but don't say, oh, you have to read blank because I probably have and or don't care. So uh, it's like, hey, educate me, but don't tell me right. anything. Um, the best discourse. So, <laughs> yeah, which is fine if you have like, you know, a Twitter following where that's going to maybe get five likes, but Alex DeCampi is, you know, 20,000 followers, a uh, quote unquote important figure in comics, you know, I mean, she's yeah, just to reiterate, never heard of this person pretty until up now. there. Well, I've heard of her and, you know, she's done good work. She did a cool book with the uh, previous guest of the show, Katie Skelly. Um, that's mainly where I first heard of her. But um, I know she's done a lot of weird like grindhouse books and stuff that she writes for other people. To be honest, I haven't checked out too much outside of that Skelly story, though. So, mm, mm. Mm -hmm. well, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I tweeted out, uh, "Alex, de can't be serious." Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. yeah. So no, I mean, a but, bunch of people were basically like, "You're the dumbest person on this website today," <laughs> and giving thoughtful answers. They were giving thoughtful answers at first, and then Alex de Campi was like, "I muted the thread after an hour, and uh, so I didn't even get any read any of these answers that you know I was asking for." So and then you know decided to kind of try to be cute about it the next day and like posted a tweet of like a burning room and was like when you post a hot take on twitter and log off for the day first off nobody ever logs off for the day nowadays <laughs> it's 2021 yeah. so the the cute attempt at brand management there you know kind of fell on deaf ears in it my wasn't opinion. a hot take either it was a question it was no, a snarky no, question wasn't. that's not a hot take yeah yeah i mean we do that shit all the time you know so we know it's just that ours are funny Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was clearly just baiting people, you know. It was like, I hate men and this is why, but it's like it wasn't formulated enough and it just made her seem ignorant. Should have done the work. Uh Uh-huh. Hate to see it. Yeah, she... uh... immediately regretted it comic twitter basically just like went right after <laughs> which honestly i won't I, I won't lie i was kind of shocked there was a lot of those like blue check losers <laughs> that were like against her and i was like wow i figured you all would be like retweeting this and being like go off queen yeah right <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but really they were like this is fucking stupid so i was like hey you know what? we agree on something for once swamp uh, thing shite. is toxic masculinity <laughs> and it's about time someone addressed it yeah yeah, Dave Scheidt was uh, pretty much like replying the same thing to people dunking on it, though, being like, so funny, exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> Very joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Dave, just dunk, man. It'll make you feel good. Let that hatred flow through your veins. Yes. <laughs> I don't have anything personally, you know, against Dave. I just, you know, think the third takes are very pedestrian and they just want to dunk. You know, they just they just choose not to. They choose to take the high road. Uh, I'm telling you, Dave, come to the dark side, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I've known Dave for a while now from just from, you know, living in Chicago. Chicago, dude. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay. okay. Yeah. Nothing against him. It's all jokes here, folks. I know you all know that sometimes, but. It's all jokes. Yeah, I guess we should talk about our Patreon before we get into shout outs. Uh, we did a uh, few Hawking Hills episodes. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. $5 a month gets you two bonus episodes a month at least. $10 a month gets you a zine plus those bonus episodes. And there's other tiers on there. Check it out. Gutterboys.top or Patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. Uh, a lot of positive feedback on that last episode. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed it. Seemed like you all did. And uh, feel free to uh, donate to the cause. Oh, yeah. And we finally topped out over 800 Yeah, yeah. We finally made $800. Next is $1,000. We want 1000 yes, folks. Pay our rent and, uh, you know, we'd be very grateful. I just yes. had to get a part-time job, so I'm back to the dick-sucking factory. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to punch in. Yep. Got to clock in. It's at a bookstore, though, so it's not the worst thing in the world. So, I'm actually pretty excited about it. But it would be super sick to just podcast, so that way, you know, like, women would hate us more because... <laughs> No, what's that guy's name? The fucking that loser that was like really mad when they found out how much money we made a month. Oh, I don't know who it was. Um, Carrot something. Carrot Top. Yeah, he got real mad. Carrot Top was like, look how much they're making per month. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, is that that a self dunk? I don't understand (laughs) what that's supposed to mean. (laughs) 
But we are appreciative of every, you know, patron that we have. You know, the common thing that was, I guess the common theme that I heard at the Columbus Block Ford event and at the cabin was, man, we expected you all to be edgelords, but you all are so nice. And it's like, well, no shit. It's, <laughs> it's a just fucking one person. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, uh, Caroline Cash. No, 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 no. Listen, Caroline <laughs> yeah. said that it was talk at the cabin behind our back that we were very pleasant and it was not expected. <laughs> How dare you talk behind our back positively? disgusting um, behavior yeah and it's like dude of course we're nice i mean you know this is fucking it's a pot don't take shit too seriously man Uh, i mean what do you expect us to be fucking dicks i mean maybe i don't know we are dicks (laughs) but (laughs) i mean yes (laughs) (laughs) oh hey here's some comics news so apparently simu lu the guy who uh, is Shang-Chi. Apparently, there's a uh, an Asian men's right group. And apparently, he's like one of the dudes. Hell yes. Behind it. <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The guy, the guy that leaked this information was like, there is, let me, f- ah, fuck, I got to find the shit. Hang on. Oh, that's we're amazing. Kinda, we're kind of backtracking here uh, with shout outs. So, I'm sorry. I know Max tweeted about it and quote tweeted the. Uh, Shang-Chi, I hate women. <laughs> yeah. So here's what happened. A gentleman named Edward Hong, who has 3,600 followers, his Twitter name is at Cinnabon Monster. This is going to sound so fake, but what else can you expect from the you know reporting? <laughs> Cinnabon <from>? Monster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. So uh, they quote tweeted a tweet from a verified blue check account, reappropriate, that said, please take the time to read this incredibly in-depth and thorough investigative essay by Aaron T. Mack on the MR Asian subculture on Reddit. I sincerely appreciate the attention Aaron took to the story. And MRA stands for Men's Rights Asians. And uh, essentially, it's just a group of Asian men, not us, not us, that are, you know, just being misogynistic online. And um, this guy, Edward Hong, quote tweeted it with, this is an astoundingly in-depth article about the toxic men's right Asian movement. So if you have the time, read it. And probably for a very good reason. It omits the biggest celebrity ringleader of it all. Yes, I've talked about him many, many times here before. And then they decided to reply to this tweet with, fuck it. The person in question is Simu Liu. For those asking for receipts, you won't find any. All Reddit board and Twitter conversations have been scrubbed clean with specific MRA involvement. You can only go by the experiences of the API women who have been affected by Simu and more precisely his followers. So, um, you know, there's no evidence, but hey, when do we ever let the truth get in the way of a good story here? But since this has all come out, there have actually been like screenshots of like shit that he's posted in the past. Looks like posts from 2015, you know, talking about this. So, it's really cool that uh, Shang-Chi uh, hates women. <laughs> I can read the post of his if you want. I don't know if he you probably, want to do that He probably show, like, uh, spent two minutes in a trailer with Aquafina and was like, you know what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me uh, let me rethink that. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to read the post? There's two posts. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So one of the posts was dated from uh, July of 2015, and it looks like it was posted in Reddit World News. Hi, I'm a Canadian actor and thought I'd chime. In. I recently did a show in which I played a pedophile and did a significant amount of research, clinical studies, mind you, not the method stuff on the disorder. And <laughs> I like that he had to clarify Hell and how yeah. it's perceived in yes. the media. In the end, the role completely changed the way I look at pedophilia and has made me much more sympathetic to anyone who is born with those urges. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> From a biological standpoint, it's no different than being gay. A small mutation in the genome that defines our sexual preferences. 
Depending on what area of the world you were born and what time, it also may have been a perfectly acceptable thing to act on those urges. Now, we all know that taking advantage of minors is wrong, disgusting, and vile even. But with the exception of Germany, we are completely about it. Hang on, sorry. But with the exception of Germany, we are going about it completely the wrong way. It's like we have learned anything by studying homosexuality. We're talking about exploring the same quote-unquote cures to pedophilia as we were about homosexuality 20 years ago, a la conversion therapy and whatnot. As a part of my research, I discovered that these people have literally nowhere to run, even non-offending pedophiles. They cannot seek treatment in most parts of the world because the therapist or psychiatrist will be legally required to report any... And then the post ends. But there's another post. Do you want me to send it to you so you can read it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. <laughs> I'm going to send it to you on Twitter. Hang on. <laughs> God damn. I, man, <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere Mickey Mouse is rubbing his hands. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. There's more screenshots in the replies. Oh, Fuck. hell yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Hey, done a fair amount of research for a role that I did. I'm an actor. No, not Kevin Bacon. Ha, ha, ha. And I wanted to provide any assistance if I can. What we currently know about the disorder is this. Like homosexuality, it exists on a spectrum. For example, we all know that the whole barely legal subgenre of adult entertainment is huge. Anybody who jerks off to pictures of an 18-year-old and turns around and says all pedophiles ought to be killed is fucking a hypocrite in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I digress. Uh, from, from what you've typed here, it seems that you have a mild preference and you are able to be satisfied with adults. Some people with the disorder find themselves only attracted to children, and that could be potentially problematic, especially in a society where there's absolutely no way to get help. Potentially problematic. I love it. Potentially. <laughs> please continue to talk right using throwaways and please avoid child pornography. It may seem innocent, but even watching it is propagating the entire industry, which I'm sure you agree is disgusting. It may seem innocent? <laughs> My man literally just said, watching child pornography, it's a victimless crime. No. This is after he said that he didn't do this as method acting. God. This dude, for sure, if they took this dude's computer, man. Bro, I'm pretty sure this is all a bit because he wants to be the first Asian joker. <laughs> Uh, plus, the consequences you face if you caught are life-changing. Worse than death, if you ask me. You have a good head on your shoulders. I wish you the best, and I know you will not make any decisions you will regret. Too long, didn't read. Actor played a pedophile for a TV show. Did research. Discovered being a pedophile. Not so different from being gay. <laughs> Everyone deserves sympathy. Not black and white. Edit. So, my first gold, uh, so my first gold was a sympathetic post towards pedophiles. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for the gold. <laughs> Honestly, if it goes to show that Reddit is capable of tremendous compassion. <laughs> yeah, that's the takeaway here. Yeah. <laughs> to everyone who came forward in the thread, I admire your courage and wish you the best. My man's rooting for pedophiles. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm in no position to provide any guidance or advice of any sort, but I encourage you to read this article I stumbled upon while doing research for my role. To people downvoting, I encourage you to participate in the discussion instead of simply clicking a button. I hope you remember downvotes should only be given for comments that don't contribute to the discussion, and you shouldn't use it as a means to voice your disagreement. Alright, now I'm going to look at these uh, other screen grabs, because there's... 
There's some good ones here. Yeah. Uh, as we're reporting this, I, I just typed in Simu Lu. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but a pedophile to see like what role it was. And these stories are from like 13 minutes ago, an hour ago. So this is breaking news. When you hear this, it's going to be a couple days old, but this is breaking news, fellas and non-binaries and ladies listening to the show. Let's see. There's more in the comments, bro. It says further screenshot, by the way. It looks like some replies. Here's what proves it's him. It looks like in 2019, the same account user nipped in the bud uh, posted in a Reddit for Kim's Convenience, a show that Simu was on. Yeah, yeah, it's him. It's him. Here's another one. And depending on where you live in the world, sexual relations with children isn't even illegal. It's weird how we've latched onto this narrative of morality and right versus wrong when we've only recently decided that it was wrong to begin with. Just two cents. <laughs> I'm all about the gender equality. However, girls are just not as good as boys at sports. <laughs> Whenever I play volleyball with a girl on the team, I always get frustrated. Sometimes I say things. Back me up here, fellas. It's just different. <laughs> It's just different. <laughs> oh, shit. Yes. Oh, man. God damn it. <laughs> Men's rights and pedophile advocate. <laughs> she moves <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah so dude, Ber- so Berlatsky and Shimu Lu have come out as pedophile advocates at fucking rocks. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, fuck. So, um, let's see. It looks like <laughs> Shang-Chi in the ten pedophile rings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Epstein confirmed, now part of the MCU. <laughs> Oh man, that's wild. Yeah. I can't. What's what's the damage control going to be like for this? <laughs> oh, okay, so hang on. Here's something else. Uh, it looks like here's somebody a verified check account. Roslyn Toulousen said Lou got an Asian American podcaster harassed off of here over a vague tweet about his abs. His politic is rooted in assimilating into white power. He has a shitty reputation in Toronto for the way he dates and works. So one of the accounts that was stalking Huang in the slate piece, I think, tagged Lou on one of my tweets critiquing misogyny in Asian American spaces. Lou DM me that same night to reassure me he was not a misogynist. And she posted the uh, actual screenshot of his explanation that is much too long and saying that he didn't do this but you know it is what it is it looks like there's a lot of receipts going back you know five years plus so it's very funny yeah fucking hilarious okay so now that we've uh turns out there was a lot of comics news so now that we've derailed the show let's get into shout outs so we can get into our interview with sean knickerbocker uh we did meet a lot of you at the block fort event which was awesome because you all were very nice and pleasant we even got a gift i posted about it on the instagram uh drew hall in columbus brought me the batman forever mug that i mentioned on the nate garcia episode literally hours after it went up yeah. so <laughs> it was that same morning it was that actually. same morning yeah. so that was incredible yeah uh, so thank you drew <laughs> Also, Drew gave us copies of his uh, cult pamphlet, How to Transcend. I don't know if he has those available online, but you can check him out on Instagram at Drew B. Hall. Yeah, just DM him. I'm sure he might have copies. Yeah. Uh, any listeners also, by the way, I was thinking the other day, it's like, man, you know what I miss having? What's that? $10 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, when I was a kid, one of my favorite things was $10 million yeah. in unmarked bills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, or on patreon.com you know, forward slash gutter boys. 
what else? Oh, oh I still need Riddler, Two Face, and uh, Robin. <laughs> so the whole collection. Oh, actually, you know what? You know what I really miss is those McDonald's Jurassic Park cups. Yeah, there you go. We're gonna get like the fucking McDonald's cups from the listeners. So I oh still need, God. yeah, the Batman Forever set. I got Batman only. So if you all want to come through and hooks up with the other three, and then JB wants the Jurassic <laughs> Park cups. So <laughs> yeah, the problem with those cups is that they're like way flimsy. They were like the plastic. If I'm not with like just like they're the yeah, white plastic they, with they designs. They definitely went the cheap route with those. I'm a little bummed out mm-hmm. still to this day about that, but they still look sick. Like the art is fucking killer on those things. The only other uh, glass mugs that I recall them doing was they did Flintstones for Flintstone movies. Yes, yes. I had those as a kid. I remember mm-hmm. those. Yes. Those were sick, too. So, hey, I want those as well. So, uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Block Fort was really fun. Uh, we got to meet a lot of people, obviously. Oh, we got to meet uh, listener Brian Canini. Yeah, awesome, awesome guy. Really sweet. Uh, he gave us a couple of yeah, his books. Yeah, shout out Brian, man. Two stories. He uh, had two issues of those, two stories and two stories more. Very fun. They actually remind me of your work, Cam. The covers, I mean. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really like Brian's approach to comics. Um, they are very much so slice of life. And I will say this. I've been ordering comics from Brian for, I've sent in two orders to him because he sells them pretty cheap and he posts in our Discord. He actually gave me a copy of his comic Across the Diner. And I thought that I might have had it, but I wasn't completely sure. And I guess he went home and checked what I'd ordered from him because when I did come home, I realized that I did have that comic already. Such a swell guy. Brian sent more comics <laughs> over. was like, oh, I saw you ordered this from me and the trade wasn't fair. So here you go. Oh, nice. A- and uh, he sent me over uh, his plastic people uh, issues one through four. So shout out Brian for that. Very cool. Very cool. He also gave us uh, some of his newsprint anthology that he puts out and edits in Columbus called uh, The Columbus Scribbler, which uh, I found out through reading uh, Brian's autobio work was actually Eisner nominated. So oh, shout nice. out to the work they're doing over there. It's a really cool anthology free newspaper rag, uh, The Columbus Scribbler. You can find Brian online on Instagram at Brian Canini, and that's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-N-I-N-I. And you can buy his comics at drunkencatcomics.store.com. V.com. We also had another fan, Ethan Pope, come by our table and uh, very, very sweet guy as well. Uh, he handed us his uh, mini comic, Going Home, which uh, I believe you could probably still get from him. Really talented. I mean, his, his work is solid and he's a young dude too right he's like still in school yeah he's like 18 uh he's one of emmy guinness's students ah okay which is why he was at the uh, show she recommended he come down he was a previous listener of the show and it was really cool to meet him it's a very uh, small little comic you know one of those things they teach you how to make uh when you take like the zine courses yeah. <laughs> at zine fest yeah. uh one of the one page things that you could fold into eight pages mm-hmm. but yeah it's a really nicely done digital comic about anxiety at a party uh really cool stuff ethan yeah very nice you can find him on instagram at epope underscore inc and uh, i look forward to seeing uh, what he comes up with in the coming years yep uh just uh, hopefully you stay uh stay with it and then uh we also got a couple of things from uh fellow tablers at the show and mm-hmm. uh, also some of them were at the retreat uh sam zabo uh who handed over their newest issue of comics will break your balls yeah number two yes. or three yes two number two, two. Yeah. yes yes very very funny uh sam's a hilarious cartoonist and uh mm-hmm. it was really cool getting to hang out with them yeah for sure for sure we got a new issue of audra staying here or sorry audra the 
the Audra show by Audra Stang, rather. And then the king of dudes, Nate McDonough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he he uh, handed me a stack of stuff here, a thick book called Blue Lives, a bunch of his single issues of Grixley. Yeah. Nate gave me an extra copy of Blue Lives because that was the only thing that he had on his table that I didn't have. And uh, he ended up giving me two copies. So when Nate's episode comes out, we will be doing a giveaway for a copy of Blue Lives. Very cool. Also, uh, Brian Baines, former guest and also tabler at Blockfort. Uh, before the show, he, he handed me over his... Uh, his new minizine, Oh Me. Which is awesome. Yes. Brian is uh, b- behind Bubbles, by the way, if you don't yes, know his sorry. government yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see here. Oh. Oh, hang on real quick. Uh, oh Me is available. Uh, you can subscribe. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. similar to Hype Pub. It's an 11 by 17 double-sided uh, zine folded. And uh, it's $9 for a yearly subscription. Or you can find Brian at a show. Uh, find him at Bubbles underscore zine. DM him to get Oh Me. And you can see he's got a couple shows coming up in uh, Philly and other places. So you could probably get one from him there. Nice. It was great hanging out, by the way, Brian. That was super yeah, fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wish we person. hung out more. I, I uh, yeah, we hung out the last night we were in Columbus at our awesome Airbnb. I didn't want to. So. I, I didn't want to get in between him and Dylan and their little love fest. So. Yeah, you know. a little hardcore bullshit bro stuff. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we all go off. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, friend of the show, Mark Koprinarov. Koprinarov. Yes, he uh, handed over his uh, his newest comic that he had written with uh, Greg Fake, uh, Santos Sisters. Giant-sized, 56-page spectacular. All right, so if there's one comic you need to pick up this month... It is Santos Sisters. Yeah, Get it's this uh, thing as soon as fucking possible. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. The art is fucking spot on in terms of like what they're phoning in here. Very Yeah, it's like a an archy uh religious comic. Like yes. uh, what was that company called that was was it like Spire Books or something that so. would do Yeah, it's it's like a rip off of that, but it's not religious at all. It no, just looks like it is. No, but it's it's fucking hilarious. And also the mm-hmm. printing on this is amazing. It's offset printed yes. on newsprint. It just feels really nice. If you put this on a newsstand somewhere at like a checkout counter, you wouldn't tell the difference between this and the other stuff, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It looks phenomenal. Uh, so much so that we might look into using the same printer for a project. Yeah, we really do need to do that, honestly, because this is really well done. Yes. Uh, well, you can find Mark on Instagram at Cram Backwards. Oh, and also you can find... Uh, Greg and Fake on Instagram as well at Greg and Fake. Yep. Brian McRae came by. Really, really cool dude. Gave us a copy of Fifth Quadrant, which I did not have. Is this new? No, this is 2020. So no, not new. But I did not have this. So I didn't uh, have really it either, awesome yeah, to get this. But it was cool looking. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice. I think it has art with someone else in it. Let me double check here. Oh, Noah Link. Yeah, it's it's Brian and his uh, usual yeah. gang of buddies that work in the anthologies he sent over. I got here uh, Three Tales of Comic Spookiness. It's a horror comic zine by Mike Freiheit. Uh, the Infinite Horizon, Lake Michigan, and White Gnome are included. And he gave me a copy of Woods. Yes. Great book. Which, yes. yeah, honestly, incredible work, Mike. And all, honestly, you know, we don't have as many ads as we used to, but I remember running ads for Woods and it was one of the cooler ads as far as, you know, like it wasn't just us reading it. It was actually, you know, there's production behind it. So definitely pick up Woods from Birdcage Bottom Books. Yeah, very thoughtful uh, ad there. Uh, you can find him at MikeFreiheit.com on Instagram at MikeFreiheit, F-R-E-I-H-E-I-T. 
Yep. And oh, another retreat guest, Craig Marcel Campbell. He gave us a copy of That Old English, number one. Phenomenal comic, dude. Woo, this one is a banger, folks. Yeah, definitely get this if you can. We're going to have him on the show eventually, by the end of the year. Yes, yes. No, he's definitely going to be on the show. We were, uh, the plan was to record an interview with him during the retreat, but uh, due to time constraints and the fact that it was the last night and everybody kind of wanted to relax, hang out and drink, uh, you know, we ended up not being able to record, but, you know, like we mentioned, we will get that done. Craig's already talked to us a bit about that, so uh, we'll get that squared away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this comic is is amazing. I, yeah, I can't say enough positive stuff about it. Uh, and then uh, also another retreat guest and block fort tabler, Caroline Cash. Uh, they debuted Pee Pee Poo Poo Comics number 69. This one is also fucking great. Yeah, what else, what uh, else is holy there to shit. say? Yeah, what's fucking new, right? Caroline Cash puts out a really good comic. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. Alrighty. And then also, we got a copy of Tales to Enlighten sent over by Matt King. Uh, he was the writer, and James Edward Clark is the artist. Matt actually sent over a note with this, and it's pretty funny. Matt wrote, Cam, I'm fully aware of the gutter boy's disdain for writers, but here's a copy of our book anyway. LOL. Hope you dig it. Never stop the podcast. It's a breath of fresh air as far as comic podcasts go. Much needed. Keep on keeping on Matt King. Uh, Matt was the writer, and I will say this. This book is very hefty. Probably 300 plus pages. The comics in it uh, make up the first half. Look very fucking cool. Uh, it reminds me of that that Deadline book. Uh, it was like an anthology book from Dark Horse in the 90s. It reminds me of that kind of style. Okay. And then the uh, back is filled with pinups with uh, friends of the show, Patrick Ian Rooks, Jasper Juvenville. Oh, nice. yeah. uh, tons of people. Uh, there's 100 plus pinups in this book. Very cool. You could check out Matt on Instagram at KingMegatrip23. This book looks great. And Matt, you know, we, we hate a lot on writers here, but we also like writers writers. We just hate like the big two Twitter writer brain kind of writer. Yeah. So. I mean, we we've had a writer on Aubrey Citizen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there you go. There, it just, nah. Yeah. So <laughs> how do we hate writers when we've had one on the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's enough representation for me. Just destroyed your argument. All right, and also big shout out to Bird God, uh, Daniel Toucan Starflower. He sent over a copy of Turquoise, Bird God World, uh, along with Sub Omnitropica mm-hmm. and a uh, small mini comic. It was like untitled from what I gathered. That's Yeah, that's untitled. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, this is all great. This is all really, really solid. Oh, he also sent me The Path of the 10,000 Fireflowers. Hell yeah. Yeah, he sent me the same stuff over. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Very unique looking style wise. Um I feel like we say world building a lot on this show, but you can tell it's like very unique in this world that he's set up individually that isn't really like anything I've seen before. You can tell he's having fun with his comics. Uh, You can find him on Instagram at bird gods with a Z at the end. Yes, he also included a letter. Uh, Hi, JB, longtime fan of the show here. I'm doing a trade with Cam for some old Archie issues he wanted, so I figured I may as well do the whole send my comics to y'all while I was at it. Hope you enjoy. Keep up the great work. The show rocks, and your drawings do too. Oh, thank you. Uh, peace and love. <laughs> peace and take care, Daniel. Oh, I thought you really said peace and love. I was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, thanks, Daniel. Really, really appreciate it. I'm going to dig into these this weekend. 
All righty. And finally, I know uh, the past few episodes have been a little shout out heavy, which is great. You can always send us your comics. Uh, just message us at Gutter Boys Pod on Instagram. Uh, we'll be happy to provide an address for you and we post them on our Instagram and talk about it on the show. To conclude this round of shout outs, we want to thank our friends over at Silver Sprocket. Silver Sprocket sent over a pretty big package, which they seem to do every few months for us. And we're very grateful. Uh, we ended up getting a copy of Good Boy Magazine, which was uh, done by Michael Sweater and Benji Nate. Really good anthology printed on newsprint. Benji Nate's strip is the standout strip in that for me. Benji's work is fucking incredible. This story being no, you know, exception to that rule. And uh, we also got Montana Diary by Whit Taylor, a friend of the show. Really cool, thoughtful, you know, diary comic about traveling to Montana on vacation. Uh, A lot of racial tension there with, you know, the majority of that area being white. Also in Trump's America when it took place. So good stuff there. Also very lucky to get a second printing of Girl in the World by Caroline Cash. I already had the first edition. I'm going to keep both, but this second edition really is something special as far as being an upgrade from the first one. Uh, It is significantly smaller, but it's done on a newsprint and has some spot gloss there. Caroline has mentioned that it's like the ideal printing format for them, so definitely see why. Uh, It looks like a lot more love and care was put into it. Not that the first one was bad, it's just, you know, you didn't realize how far these things go when it comes to production until, you know, you see them side by side. All right. And then uh, past guest in front of the show, Michael Kennedy from Across the Pond. Uh, He sent over uh, Skiffle and the second edition of Fie on Fie on Thee, Knave. Sounds like some British stuff, Michael. It's a sketch. It's a sketch. Yeah. It's a sketchbook. I, yeah, I can't say... Look, we can't praise you know, Michael if, Kennedy if listen, enough. Like, uh, Yeah, I, if you listen to the show, you know. Michael Kennedy is a fucking beast. beast. Yeah. Just absolute unstoppable beast. Fucking amazing cartoonist. Great writer. Real sharp sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Such and, a refined uh, you know, style as well. Yes, truly, truly. And you can tell he can do it all. Yeah, and Skiffle to me, I, I, I talk with Michael, you know, whatever. Um, and we talk a lot about old newspaper strips and he's really into Crazy Cat, which I think he mentioned on our episode. But Yes, he did. He did, yeah. Skiffle, you can tell he's trying to draw more action instead of, you know, letting the words carry those strips. And uh, it really harkens back to his love of those strips if you look at that stuff, in my opinion. Yes, it does. Yeah, I, I just, it's uh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And Michael <laughs> Kennedy, like he's one of those people that I'm like, dude, why do you even associate with us? Why are you on the Patreon? Like, I mean, I'm thankful for it, but you know, it's just like, it's, it's cool to be, you know, to me, he's one of those artists that like I look up to. So it's cool that I'm able to talk to him. Yeah, for real, for real. It's nice to be on the ground floor with someone that's clearly better than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, I did lie, and we have two more shout-outs left. Next is friend of the show, Harry Dean Wilmot. Harry is across the pond, also with uh, Michael Kennedy over there in England, but he sent in his new comic, Subscribe, which is a story about a content uh, YouTube reviewer and uh, the audience that watch him. And it's a uh, kind of a sad story, but also laugh-out-loud funny. Um, A lot of really cool page layouts here. Uh, You see, like, you know, the anime, which it sounds lame, because I'll be honest with you, a lot of the times you get a comic where somebody draws like a YouTube window and it's like, okay, yeah, this is whatever. But it's done here in such a way that is different and it's funny and it's incorporated into the page layouts in such a strategic way that it works. Honestly, great comic. I was actually really surprised. Not that I, uh, you know, had anything against this guy. I just hadn't seen his work and being my introduction to his work, I definitely want to see more. Uh, He also sent over a really nice note that was written in such nice penmanship that it looks typed. I actually 
have like stared at it and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's pencil. <laughs> but he wrote, hello, Cam and JB. Here are your copies to subscribe. I hope you enjoy. I just wanted to say that your podcast helped motivate me to make this book. Your show oh, wow. is... Yeah. So everybody that thinks we're toxic, we're actually contributing to the scene. <laughs> no, but he goes on to say, your show has put me onto loads of great artists such as yourselves. Thank you. Or the guests you interview. You demystified yeah, a better. lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you demystified a lot of the bull that goes into the comic book community and your honesty is refreshing. I look forward to whatever you do next. Cheers, guys. Harry. Definitely recommend getting a copy of this book. Hopefully, some American distro gets a copy. Uh, if not, you can find him on Instagram at Harry underscore Dean, D-E-A-N-E underscore Wilmot. Definitely, definitely, definitely recommend getting a copy of this. Yes, he included in my copy a sketch, uh, this really, really well done pencil drawing. It's not even a sketch, like it's a full on drawing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next, because uh, this is this is really, really solid, and it's very clear that um, he's he's going to be doing some great things here, I think. Mm-hmm. And if our show uh, influenced you to make this, keep listening, because I, I want you to keep making stuff. So, <laughs> thank you, Harry. All right. Lastly, from Canada, we have listener Cole Pauls, who sent over quite a bit of stuff. He sent over uh, his zine, Indigenity, Indi- Indigenity in Comics. I'm sorry, Cole. I am not smart. Uh, session one, the Indian in Comics. And it's actually a flip book. It's yeah, it's like a proper issues one and zine two. Too. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. informative. Very, very well done. Uh, he also sent over two books, Pizza Punk's Collection, Dark Water Warriors, both pretty hefty. I must say. Yeah, both really nicely printed from Conundrum Press up in Canada. Very, very nice. And uh, also, uh, he sent me over a 7-inch of Tough Age by Conundrum Press and Mint Rex. Man, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, And the 7-inch called Giuseppe Pizzeria. Haven't heard it yet. (laughs) So, I'm guessing this is tying in with the Pizza Punks. Uh, That's really cool, though, that he did that. Yeah, it's a it's a band that he did artwork for. There's actually a mini comic on the insert as well oh, wow. that Cole did. Okay. So yeah, it seems to be in line with the Pizza Punk stuff. Uh, the Pizza Punk stuff is uh, pretty funny actually when you read it out loud. Yeah, so you know Cole is very uh, articulate when it comes to you know showcasing information about Native Americans and uh, the culture behind it, especially in that zine that he gave us. But then he also changes gears and will do a pretty funny book like uh, Pizza Punks. So shout out to Cole for sending those over in front of the show. Yeah, he's been. Uh, you know, supporting us for a long time. So we appreciate it. Yeah. I also found out I, I totally mispronounced that book. Uh, he sent over a letter. He said, yo, JB, here's a stack of my comics, dark Wakata warriors. So not dark water or whatever the fuck I said, uh, dark, dark water, dark Wakata warriors is my first graphic novel, 2019. It's a bilingual comic in English and Southern. Oh boy. Tachion. Damn. Anyway, it's about two native Power Rangers, Wolf and Crow, saving the world from evil pioneers and cyber Sasquatches. Pizza Punks is a gag strip about punks eating pizza. Okay. It's mostly art school student work, but I drew a whole new issue for the collection. The seven inch is two official Pizza Punk anthems. Side A is Dumb's Pizza Slice. And side AA is Tough Age's Giuseppe Pizzeria, released by Conundrum and Mint Records. Risograph printed by Moniker Press, Vinyl Press by Clampdown Pressing, and... All in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Shout out Vancouver. What's up? What up, Nardwar? Indigenuity in comics. Yeah, this is like a trap. This I can't pronounce anything in this. 
<laughs> God damn. Okay. Ingenuity in comics is a fanzine I made in 2018 that critiques indigenous representation in comics and also celebrates authentic indigenous authors. And enjoy some pins and patches. Oh, yeah. He sent over some really cool pins and patches over with this, too. Yeah, uh, find nice me at tundrawizard.com, tundra-wizard.myshopify.com. And he's on Twitter and Instagram at Tundra Wizard. Thanks for reading. Cole Pauls, love your shit posts. Well, thank you, Cole, so much for sending all of this stuff. I mean, that's very kind of you. Very, very thoughtful. This letter was very thoughtful. I'm very stupid, clearly. Uh, <laughs> so thanks for outing me, I guess. Um, but not not a difficult uh, task. To be Gutter honest. Boy's stupid? No way. Yeah, what? Uh, yeah, but thank you, Cole. Really, really appreciate that. And I think that does it for the uh, shout-outs. Wow, that was a lot. Yeah, that whole episode is pretty much shout-outs. But Woo. we hope the biggest takeaway from this is Simu Lu does not rock. <laughs> He's a pedophile. Or, <laughs> depending on what side of the fence you are, he does rock even more now. Yes, if you're into, uh, you know, the whole, like, you know, Lolita Express vibe, you know, he, he might be riding with you on that plane. So, yeah, it, it sucks that Epstein died before Simu Lu popped off because, you know, he would have been on the plane if, uh, you know, this all came out in five years. You know, I mean, uh, if I was an Asian pedophile i'd be like finally <laughs> finally someone says it some representation for the in the, the mcu the, the child lover community <laughs> yeah, within the mcu yeah. uh marvel children's union <laughs> oh, all right we gotta yeah. go we'll be back yeah. after the break folks <laughs> we'll be right back Floodland brings together a series of personal and natural disasters featured in comics by Australian cartoonist and cult hero Jonathan McBurney. Beginning with the protagonist's chronic illness, it relates a long period of bizarre artistic practices, awkward art school relationships, the brutal reality of the 9-to-5 grind of the submerging artist, and culminates in the massive flood in his hometown. The peripheral characters whose lives orbit the same places and occasionally overlap through mundane circumstances include Batskiat, an artist-come-superhero whose successes are vastly out of proportion with his talents, Picasso Minotaur, a brawny beefcake sculptor with fire in his belly and hate in his heart, and Kirby Kelly, a hapless and constantly flummoxed experiment gone wrong. Floodland is a 96-page hardcover available from ArgleBargleBooks.com. Check out JonathanMcBurney.com and King underscore of underscore nails on Instagram for more beefcake, wrestling, and existential conundrums. Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. to our program. Welcome back from the break. 
today we are here in Hawking Hills. This is one of the uh, few upcoming episodes where uh, the format might be a little different in the sense of you're going to hear me and JB sharing a microphone. Uh, you're going to hear random squeaks, people walking down the stairs and so forth. But that's not important. Today, we are here with Minneapolis, Minnesota-based cartoonist Sean Knickerbocker. You know him from his work in Rust Belt, as well as Killbuck, and he is currently the editor and a contributor to Rust Belt Review. Uh, how you doing, dude? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm just enjoying this uh, this nice week off, hanging out with the with all you fellas here in Hacking Hills. Yeah, just the boys out here. <laughs> no girls here. No girls allowed. Not in the basement. Yeah. Not in the yeah, basement. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like shit down here. Uh, it's just really drafty, and uh, yeah, it's it's really nice down here. Just a nice fog of bo. It just, it immediately smelled like bo the moment it was designated the boy basement. Yeah, like it, it really was just was. like okay, just yeah. it was bo just, in like, just seeped out of the floors. <laughs> like something on the shining yeah so we are here together um on a retreat and uh, we're all working on projects that are in various states and so forth so just because we're right in the middle of it you know we're looking out a window right now at you know just this beautiful forest behind us it's actually been a really nice trip so far we're about halfway through it but how has your experience been here so far it's been really good it's been nice to uh have a lot of time to draw and uh right yeah like i have like a full-time job so i like normally i i can only like get a couple hours of writing or drawing in you know at the end of the day so it's been nice to just like have a lot of energy and then but also feel like i can like take a nap and get back to work so it's been nice to really just like you know really steep myself in this project nice yeah we're, we're definitely grinding out here me and Cam are definitely not just getting high <laughs> and watching AEW. Uh, it, we're not uh, drinking uh, sparkling seltzers at two uh, thirty in the afternoon right now or anything like that. But um, no, it's it's really cool to actually like look around and you know just see everybody working on their different projects and so forth. Have you ever been in an environment like this? Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, like when I first really got into comics. Like, there's a group of people that we did like a comics jam thing, like every Saturday, and we would okay. like we'd hang out for like twelve hours at a time, you know, and like just like <laughs> draw comics or just talk about comics and shit. Twelve hours. Yeah, but I think it was just an excuse. Like, it was a bunch of like shy cartoonists that like eventually it was like, hey, we can like hang out on the days that aren't designated as comics jam, and we can just be friends. Mm -hmm. So then you know then the jam sessions were a little a little shorter <laughs> yeah. any of those cartoonists you're still close with are they still making cartoon or comics yeah there's a decent amount of them my good friends alex bullet who does a comic called goblins goblins and uh and andrew greenstone who's actually in rust belt review they're yeah. both they're both there and this is like down in georgia there's a few other people like Pranus. I don't know if you know who Pranus Nuyukaitis is. He's like a he does like a lot of work for Boom Studios. He's a really talented cartoonist. I was gonna say, is that that Jewish rapper dude, Yafik Koto? <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, you went to the Center for Cartoon Studies as well. What year did you uh, graduate from yeah. the program? Yeah, so I was um was at CCS from 2010 to 2012. So. Uh, it was like kind of like shortly after like the first like big roundup of like cartoonists that came out of like the program. It was, and it was kind of like the next generation of CCS students kind of doing our own thing. So that was a fun time to be there, I think. So overall, was your experience there positive? Do you feel like it was, you know, detrimental to your career in comics or? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, I Absolutely. Really, <laughs> I really liked it. Um you know, it's so tough with that kind of stuff because, like, I think, uh, you know, like, any kind of, like, private 
art school kind of thing like the like the critique is relevant that you know there's a paywall to get into a community you know but there is something valuable to be in the community as well so i think if you do find yourself in a situation where like you absolutely will not do anything else in your early 20s other than like draw comics like it's and you have the funds like i don't think it's a bad decision to make at all but obviously like if you don't have that like you you don't need it like you just need to reach out to people and communities online and kind of be a little bit more social than maybe you're comfortable with and I think you could still have a pretty good career in comics. So, yeah, I, I really love CCS. You know, they, they, I'm a really shy person. So, like, I think, like, the administrative people there really, like, helped me introduce myself to, like, uh, publishers and editors and stuff. And, like, that's kind of, like, where I began my relationship with Secret Acres was was at CCS. So, like, I don't think if I was at CCS, I would have, like, ever been bold enough to, like, walk up to an editor and be like, here's my portfolio. What do you think? You know? But, like, being in a place that, like, allowed for that kind of, you know, expectation was was good. Hell yeah. So, I'm familiar with your body of work uh, from Secret Acres. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't see any of your minis before the first book that I had gotten from you is from MS Harkness was posting that you all were doing a reading together uh, somewhere. And I want to say that was that was Rust Belt. It was at 2016, if I'm not mistaken, 2017. The Rust Belt collection came out in 2019. So, that, that was probably the book you probably found. Okay. It feels a lot longer. It feels like a lot longer it's ago, been, but I guess it's the been pandemic. It's been a long couple yeah. of years. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, I feel like it was pretty early on that I yeah. found that. So, and so that was a mini comic before it was a book. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was actually like my thesis project at CCS is like I wanted to like make stories about like post industrial America, kind of like rural kind of places where I kind of like grew up. And at the time, I was like, I felt like there wasn't like a lot of that out there. And I was like, man, this country is super fucked up and not a lot of people know about it. And I feel like by the time it actually came out as a collection, it was like, that's what the entire country looked like. So (laughs) (laughs) how dare you? We live in the greatest country in the world. (laughs) Were you born and raised in uh, Minnesota? No, Ah, wrong. Okay, okay. Wrong. Well, tell me then. <laughs> tell it. Tell us about Buffalo. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up like uh, like an hour south of Buffalo, New York. I knew this too, actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> kayfabe. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. So I grew up in like in in the woods in a really rural area, kind of like you know the only thing we had in town was like a out of commission uh, nuclear plant that had been like irradiating the water oh good awesome it was like the only it was the only privately owned uh processing plant for used uranium rods for a couple of years (laughs) fucking living in springfield yeah yeah, within within like within like 18 (laughs) within 18 months of it being opened uh like a a majority of the scientists that worked there left because they'd never seen that many like uh contamination events So within a few years, it was shut down and it was turned into what they call a demonstration project, which is ran by the state. And it's kind of like them trying to figure out a way to clean the land and make it livable, sort of, and also clean up the mess that this private company left. So that was kind of like all that shit happened before I was even born. But that was like kind of like that was the shadow of like what I lived in. And like, I don't know, at the time, I thought it was really unique. But I feel like if you go to a lot of like small rural towns, like every community has like some sort of like catastrophic environmental event that's kind of like fucked that town over yeah you know it's 100%, just yeah that, our flavor just happened to be like use your uranium rods you know 
Yeah, the classic. <laughs> not, not true. Yeah. 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 All righty. So, um, when did you make the uh, jump to Minnesota? And was that informed by wanting to go there for, like, you know, the comic scene? Because you do have, you know, there's a lot of creators there that are currently working that are making some exciting work. I mean, even Autoptic Festival, which we were part of, you yeah. know, the past couple of years happens there and it's always a good show. So, what made you make the jump over there? Yeah, so my my wife actually got accepted into a, a writing program in in southern Minnesota. So we lived there for like three years, and I mean, I don't think I was like completely sold on Minnesota until I moved to Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and then like it like really made sense. There's a really strong comics community there, but there's also like a really strong writing community, which like is important to my wife. And obviously, it's good to have us both happy and feel like we're doing something that's meaningful. So. Minneapolis in general just seemed like a like a book town, so it seemed like a good place to set up shop. So that's what we did, and like now I'm working in book printing, and my wife is a li- you know works in the library, and so like we're very book centric and book oriented. So hell yeah, it's nice. Well, I did want to kind of talk about your day job just a little bit because yeah. you do work for a uh, you know commercial book printer. Yeah, and you know talking to you you know before today just online, I know you really care about you know the craft and you know the process behind printing. Mm-hmm. You seem to be very well informed about that. Yeah, is it something that you were interested in? You know, and that's why you got into that field because it kind of goes hand in hand with comics. You know, you're yeah. printing them and so forth. Like, is that something that you were just like, I want to try this, or did you have an interest beforehand to get in stuff like that? Oh yeah, totally. Like, um, like when I went to CCS and I kind of like learned about screen printing, like it kind of informed how I drew, you know, like working in colors and layers and building uh, an image through that process was really important to me. And then I, I, I picked it up pretty quickly and like, there wasn't like a lot of work for like somebody with just a high school education to like kind of get by that wasn't just like in the service economy in in upper in the upper valley where CCS is. So like I kind of found myself working at like a lot of different print shops to kind of like make a little bit more money than you would in the service industry and like over time I just got really into it. Like it made sense like it tied directly to like the work I was making. I felt like so it felt like I was able to like have a meaningful day job and actually pay the bills, which is, you know, can be really difficult. So yeah, that was kind of like yeah. how I how I got into print and I've just been around it ever since then. And it, it, yeah, like it's it matters a lot to me. Like I, I do feel like the comics that mean the most to me are like comics that are designed for the printed medium. That's nothing like, that's like not a knock against web comics or anything, but it's like to me, like holding a book is like almost like having like a personal conversation or like visiting a friend. And I don't mm. necessarily get that from like a, a digital experience all the time. So, yeah, I know. I agree with that. I'm not feeling it when I read a digital comic. It's just not the same. And while you were very nice about it and you said, you know, it's not a diss on web comics, we do hate web comics uh, here at Gutter Boys <laughs> headquarters. No, we're just kidding. We don't hate web, we don't hate web comics. But um, so I do, you know, I want to get into, you know, the Secret Acres stuff. But before that, I, I kind of want to see where you came from because I'm not familiar with your career before the Secret Acres books yeah. um, and, you know, before you went to CCS. Sure. So what brought that, you know, love of comics? How long were you making them? You know, mm. what got you to the dance? What made you want to go to school for them? Like if you right. want to kind of yeah. tell that story. Yeah, so um, I grew up, and I really, I really loved animation. Like, I, I think I grew up at just the right time, right? Like, it was like the early '90s, so like the the Simpsons was on, and Batman the Animated Series was on, and Ren Stimpy was on. Totally and, a golden age in hindsight. And then you also had all of these like um, VHS copies of like old cartoons that were like really affordable and cheap to come by. So like, are you talking about like the you'd get them at like truck stops and yeah. crap? There'll be like a hundred cartoons, exactly, three hours, exactly, yeah. like classic 
classic yeah. tunes. That I yeah, think they cartoon were classics yeah, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I found like the Superman, Fle- like the Fleischer Superman yes. cartoons through that, and yes. like the Popeye cartoons, and like that stuff really stuck with me. And so like I was really into to animation, and I thought that's what I was going to do. And like I, I got really into like Ralph Bakshi when I was a teenager, and like I started to kind of see like kind of the, the pitfalls of being like a an auteur if you will for like animation right like Bakshi like definitely always had like financial issues and like not to say that that wasn't tied to some of his own like personal problems but you could kind of see in his work that like the vision was always grander than what he could afford to do right and growing up like super poor i was like i'll i'll never be able to make an animated movie you know (laughs) so (laughs) so but i was like oh but i could like draw a comic so then i got really into comics from that and then like jumped into like all the alternative stuff and like like a big early influence for me was uh harvey Picar and american splendor because again like you know it's so rare to like to have like someone talking about like not being able to pay the bills and shit you know like it's like that and roseanne i feel like were the only thing from like that i had like contact with as a young person that was like that felt real where everything else was just like rich kids like an american pie or something so it really resonated with me and that kind of like set me on this path of doing kind of short fiction or even sometimes autobio that kind of revolved around uh, working class stuff. Working class hero right here. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's a, that's a, I think that's a, you know, a misguided trope obviously at this point too, but um, it definitely did more, it did more good than harm I would say. So. Yeah. And that's, I think one thing that, you know, is a constant theme in your comics is, you know, just like the working class, all of your characters come from that, you know, same upbringing. Well, not all of them, but like it's a constant theme that runs through your books as far as the material that I've read. It seems so personal and something that you know so well, which to me comes across on the page and, you know, in the writing as well as, you know, the artwork. Do you tap into that purposefully? Is it kind of one of those things that, you know, it's like, this is what I know. So I want to make the work about this. Do you think you'll ever leave that rural setting? I think so. Um, I think, you know, I haven't lived like in a rural area since I was at CCS, you know, like I've kind of now I, you know, like I'm doing all right, you know, (laughs) so that's like one thing is like financially, like it's not like I'm buried in money now, but like I think there's a huge difference between being like $40 ahead every pay period versus $40 behind. Like it doesn't take much to like kind of completely change how you're living, you know, so I think my work's going to shift and I think that's probably for the best because like I don't live in Buffalo anymore and I'm, I'm not struggling like that anymore. So I don't think it's necessarily my place to kind of like keep acting like that's that's my story to tell. Like I told my story from that time and I, I kind of want to provide a platform for other people to do that. So that's kind of like why I'm doing Rust Belt Review. Uh, is the Buffalo area pretty expensive? No, not at all. No. It's super okay. cheap. Like I knew when we were moving like back in 2014. Yeah. You could like you could like rent out a house for like six hundred dollars a month. I think okay, it's then. changed a little bit, but sure. it's still I'd say it's still relatively affordable. Okay. It's not it's not, hasn't yet been gentrified. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, the mass exodus is gonna happen. <laughs> you know. You, you, it, it once flushings get got hit, it you know they're in trouble. Buffalo is just a matter of a couple of years. Absolutely. Like the medical, like there's like a huge like boom because of like the medical technology industry. So like it's coming and you know, Hell it's yeah. only a matter of time. Hell yeah. So. Shout out to the medical field. But you know, they, they might have a socialist mayor soon. So like. I heard about that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. That um, would be uh, amazing. Yeah. So hopefully it happens. I mean, she won the primary and it should be kind of a an easy win, but the uh, person that lost is he's he's running a write-in campaign. 
And so. like, of course, like all the money from media, like local media is behind him. Sure. Of course. Yeah, so right. it's, it's the pretty grotesque. Candidate. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, it's a pretty grotesque, weird situation. <laughs> fucking so sad. Um, but God damn, it's pretty wild. Um, but hopefully, you know, they have a socialist mayor and like good for them, man. Like, I don't think there's a lot of places you can get away with doing that shit now, you know? So yeah, no, you're right. Take the, take the W's where you can get them. For sure. For sure. I want to get a little bit into your process and kind of put a bow on, you know, your comics work uh, before we get into your recent project, which is also you contributing to, uh, you know, an anthology that's quarterly. But as far as your process, you know, we've been lucky to kind of see it here, you know, post it up over there at a table. We see you working on pages mm-hmm. and so forth. But uh, your comics seem very thought out. Um, and pre-planned from a reader standpoint. And that's yeah. good. I mean that in a yeah. very good way. You know, it doesn't seem like you're winging it. Um, it seems like it's very complete. When I uh, read one of your books, I'm like, okay, yes. Like, you know, everything makes sense. It's all tied up. It's written super well. So where do you start? Do you start with the writing? Yeah, I do start from the writing. Like, this is actually like, <laughs> yeah, I had mentioned earlier that my, my wife is a writer. Um, so like, she's definitely like kind of helped me like hone that craft a little bit more. Like, taught me a little bit about editing and the value of doing that. So that's not to say like, I don't, I don't do like a full blown script. Like, I'm not like a mm-hmm. writer, you know, like I'm not like a comics writer, you know, I don't like write it all out. But I do like have like a very like detailed list of things that happens on a single page. And, you know, I start to develop the the dialogue as I'm like kind of seeing how the characters act in those situations, you Mm -hmm. know, like, so that's kind of how that comes together for the writing process. But yeah, I do have like a pretty strong skeleton for what the, what the story looks like um, before I start drawing because otherwise it it just, you know, gets out of control. Uh, speaking of your wife and a writing background, yeah. have you two ever, like, has it ever come up to work on a project like a comic together? Yeah, early on we tried, but I'm I'm really bad about, um, I'm bad about working with other other people. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't okay. even like it was a bad, it was just like Good one of those things where it's like, this is really. of an anthology. Yeah. Well, it's different. Like, <laughs> no, I know yeah, it's yeah. different. Yeah. You know, I'm the boss. You know, it's <laughs> different. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would really like to. I've, I've, I've like adapted, you know, like for like just personal projects and stuff I've shared with my wife. I've like adapted some of her, her, her poetry, okay. and that was like a really fun exercise. I think eventually I would like to, to do that. And now she's working on like a quarterly lit mag too for poetry. So like, I always have this idea in the back of my mind that like maybe we could team up for an issue and do like a, like a comics and poetry thing. So um, this is just like, you know, kind of giving some insights, some conversations that I've had here with uh, people. Uh, I was talking with Caroline Cash earlier and we were talking about how we would never be able to date a cartoonist because like maybe it'd be a little competitive. You know, it'd be just an interesting dynamic. Now you are working with your wife, who is a writer. Is there any kind of, you know, competitive dynamic with you all both being involved with releasing anthology collections and so forth? Not to, you know, sandbag you with your wife or anything, but is there an interesting (laughs) dynamic or anything there? Um, No, it's all positive. Like, I think that, I think it's, you know, unlike dating someone that's perhaps in the exact same field as you, like, she also does something that requires a lot of work and makes zero money and nobody gives a shit about. So, like, we're able <laughs> to, it. like, empathize with one another with that. And, yeah, she, for you real. know, and we both understand that, you know, when it's when it's go time to work on the project, that's what it is. And, like, respect that. Mm. But there's obviously a balance to that, too. And that's still something, like, we're working out. And that's, like, you know, we're we're due to have a baby in February. And, like, I def- that's definitely going to be, like, a new challenge, I'm sure, to, like, just keep in the back of my mind. It's, like, we're both creative people and we need to make sure we have the energy to work on our projects and not, like, take that from another person, you know? So Yeah, I feel like once you have a kid, all bets are off. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's. Um, I don't have a child, so I really can't speak in, in, from an informed standpoint here. But, yeah, I just imagine it'd be a totally different thing. But congratulations on that. Um, you. What's your daily schedule look like? You try to work on comics every day? Do you, oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I, I try. You know, I, I wake up early in the morning and, like, I try and get some some drawing done or at least some writing. And then in the evening for a couple hours, I try and draw. Like, it doesn't always come together every day. You know, like, things things come up. But, like, generally speaking, like, I try and use the first hour of my day to kind of, like, take care of, like, the tiny tasks that will, like, distract me when it comes to making comics. Like, you know, like, setting up posts or just, like, doing administrative work or, like, writing. And then in the evening, I try to do, like, one or two hours of, like, just drawing. Um, like I said, it doesn't always come together. But that's, like, the general, like... That's the goal every day. In your process, so you said, what? What's up? There's a deer staring at us. If this makes the episode. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's up, deer? Sorry, we had to pause because a deer is staring right at us. Hello, friend. Hey, we're podcasting. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the deer has a question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a listener question here. No? Nothing? It's sticking its tongue out at us, so I don't know if that's good or bad. That's okay, a sign, nothing. That's a sign of affection. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. Majestic. Get out of here, you fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with your process, so you you said that you don't really fully write out a script. Yeah. So are you more kind of just making? I I guess the closest comparison would be thumbnails. Yeah, kind of like yeah, with notes, and like I that's guess. the same thing too with like the dialogue in a sense is a thumbnail too because like I'll write down like pretty much like what the character means like okay. this is what when the character is going to speak in this panel and this is what they're what this is the objective this is the information I need to get across and I kind of draw those figures and kind of see like what information is already being conveyed with like the gestures that mm-hmm. people accomplish yeah and at that point I adjust the dialogue to kind of like complement that in a way so it doesn't seem redundant. So you have your beats, the information you need to get across in those beats, and you just go from there. Yeah. Okay. Are you one of those people that um, kind of wings it once you actually like get to translating from thumbnail to page, or are you completely knowing what you're going to do before you approach the page? It's best for me to know exactly what I'm doing. I can knock out a page a lot quicker. Sometimes, like I do get impatient, and I I just like I just. I'm like, I just need to go for it. And what usually happens is I spend a lot of time trying to get like a composition correctly that I probably could have seen a lot easier if I had just done it at a smaller size. So oh, then I okay. end up like yeah. not being able to successfully fill the space in a really aesthetically pleasing way. So it's best for me to do thumbnails. Um, yeah. But it doesn't always happen. <laughs> so. So with like stuff like composition and, and layouts and stuff like that, is that something that you kind of get hyper focused on at all or do you find yourself running into roadblocks while pumping out pages with those things? Oh, sure. Yeah, I do that. It happens a lot, you know, like, you know, especially when you're doing like a lot of dialogue heavy stuff, it's really difficult to like make sure it looks visually interesting. You right. Know? Yeah. 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 So there are those times, but then like, I usually find, you know, those are usually really helpful moments where it's like, Oh, this is like, this feels really static. I need to add more to it. And it does give an opportunity to like, kind of add a little bit more dimension, add some more acting to what the characters are doing or add something to the background. And then that could probably, you know, inform a little bit more about who those characters are and what they're about. But yeah, it does. It does slow me down from time to time for sure. Hmm. And have you ever had like a weird urge or sudden impulse to make a story that's less dialogue driven? Yeah. Yeah. I've done that before. It's so tough because I feel like. Because we were talking about action earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I feel like for me, like 
dialogue or any kind of text on the page, I feel like anchors anchors the eye a little bit. Yeah. So I feel like if you take away dialogue or, it's a literal or captions, arrow. yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, right? Yeah. Like it, it's those words are kind of training your eyes to scan the page in a certain way. Right. I feel like at least with me when I'm reading a comic that doesn't have dialogue or whatever, like it's really easy for my eyes to just jump all over the place because I'm just trying to look at what I find to be the most interesting and it doesn't necessarily follow a reading path. Yeah. yeah. So. I, there's probably people that are masters of doing this, but like, I think yeah. it's really, it's a, it's, I think it's tricky to really nail it. I think of Mazzuccelli in terms of like where he would decide to have the movements and actions go mm. in relation to the direction of, of the panels. Mm-hmm. And it would guide, it would be so easy because like all of these visual cues are giving you gestures as to where you're supposed to read and the flow of the story per page. Yeah. Yeah. Mazzuccelli is definitely a master of that. Like, there's this, I'm going to describe a comic book page and yes. we're, just, we're just going to get through this. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's a, there's a page in Batman year one where, yes. where Monster Kelly draws Batman um, going down like a emergency stairwell kind yeah. of thing. That's exactly the page I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you can follow like the contours of his cape, which kind of lead to like his body that's going straight down. And it's like one of those things where like your eyes just like, it's just a funnel. You yeah. know, like the action is all through like a, a funnel that's created with that composition and like it adds so much like momentum to like those bottom panels that really, you know, adds a lot of strength to that page. So like, yeah, he's doing the heavy lifting for you absolutely as the reader. Yeah. Which is, I, I feel like it's uh becoming a lost art form. In yeah, some for ways. sure. Like I, I try and read like superhero comics every once in a while. And like now it just seems like it's just like storyboard artists that are just right. like trying to like knock out the shit that would maybe work. It's just uh, busy and aimless. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's tough to read. I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose even if the superhero comics were like drawn well, I probably still wouldn't read them. But it's <laughs> <laughs> um, but it doesn't help that like the people that seem to be drawing them for the most part are, are boring. You know, excluding people like Ramon, of course. Like, yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to don't get it. on his bad side. Absolutely yeah. not. Ramon's very talented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ramon, fuck off. <laughs> um, but no. Um. So you said you wouldn't read superhero comics today. Uh. You know, even if they were drawn well. Uh. Was that your you know entry to the dance? Is that what you grew up reading? What'd you grow up reading? I like went through a little bit of a superhero phase in like the mid nineties, like when there was like that superhero, like there was like the comic book direct market, you know, yeah, like yeah. blitz or whatever. So I got into it, but it's kind of like as a collector item, you know, cause that's mm. like what you're supposed to do with them. But like being a kid that didn't have a lot of money, it's not like I had like the cool hollow foil colors, colors right. or whatever. So like I had like DC versus Marvel, like issues one through four. Yeah. And cool like comic I looked at those things a million fucking times. They had the big hands, like the red yeah. and the blue hand and yeah. the Marvel was on one side. Yeah, DC yeah, yeah. Yeah. on one side um that was actually like fan voted on but i don't know if they actually like listened to the fans there but allegedly it was like all the fight results were fan voted on because <laughs> well, i was thinking of amalgam that's oh what, yeah that's what that is yeah. okay, yeah, okay, okay. Came after that yeah like uh so what ended up happening is like the the first pages <laughs> was like there was a red hand that was like marvel and there was a blue hand that was dc and at the end like i think there was a tie because like they were gonna obliterate one universe and there was a tie so i if i'm not mistaken the two hands clapped together and that started the amalgam universe okay that sounds about that's, right I, yeah, that's sure. a really done is upstairs so we'll verify yeah. when we record with him so yeah. like yeah, wolverine yeah, 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 yeah. and batman become one it's I, that's of, what I 
remember yeah, was like, like what how does this make sense but okay it's funny how that works like how like two of the coolest people like are combined into like one super cool being yeah you know? and Wolverine <laughs> and Batman it was it was Dark Claw and that was the coolest one to come out of that and yeah. there was a comic that Ty Templeton did that was illustrated in the same style of the Batman the animated series starring Dark Claw oh, man. and it's like a one-off issue one of my favorite single issue comics ever it just looks cool as shit yeah yeah, where's, where's the dark claw action figure? Come on, <laughs> gotta get that dark claw going. Yeah, <laughs> that was definitely like so. That was like my only real like superhero moment. And then like you know like I just feel like I caught on to like the the cycle of what was happening with superhero comics really quickly. And like as soon as I figured out what the what the formula was, like I just got bored with it. And then very briefly when I got back into comics in my teenage years, like uh, I just remember picking up like a Wizard magazine and being like, well, I remember looking at this one as a kid. Like let's see what people are recommending for reads or whatever. And it was all bad right like it was <laughs> this was like when batman this is like all-star batman was coming out so they were like super hyped about oh, all, boy. Had, so like the cover had like an alex ross painting of like a jim lee drawing of batman was yeah. like the cover of this wizard magazine as like all right this is what's going on in comics and like i bought that stuff and i was like this sucks but like in the back of one of those wizards was like a like a like an indie section it was called like secret stash or something stupid like that but there was like a there's like a thumbnail image of like kramer's or got five and like it had a very very brief a descriptor it was like this is the cbgbs of comics right now like that That's was it it was like <laughs> very- if i was in that issue i'd be like fuck yeah super God lame but like as like a super lame teenager it's like that sounds that sounds really cool <laughs> yeah, yeah. so like that i immediately like started seeking out like kramers and then like from there like you know all the people that were in those issues of kramers i started like checking out their like mini comics and stuff and kind of went down that path that editorial blurb is wild because that assumes that those guys want to work at the big two right like if you're doing a cbgb's like you think of the cbgb's quote-unquote brand in retrospect and it's like people that toured and like played amphitheaters and shit like that yeah it was like a cool place to play i guess but event i guess at first though you know it was a punk club so i guess it was like the underground at first but um alrighty. so before we get into the uh editorial side of things i do want to kind of just you know ask you about what you're currently working on you know i've seen you working on pages i'm assuming those are for the next rust belt yeah yeah so um the pages i'm working on here i was just finishing up the next chapter for volume three and now i'm starting to write out and thumbnail and hopefully draw a bunch of pages for volume for i'm just trying to build a buffer right now so once the baby's born maybe i'll have you know i won't worry about falling behind i mean this i'm going to fall behind of course because it's more important to be it's more important to be a a caring partner and father of course to draw a stupid comic book (laughs) but but, um but i'm trying to use this opportunity to get as much done as i can and like at this point too like i'm really excited about the project but like the this is the first time i've actually had like multiple like plates spinning so i have like another project too that i'm like super stoked about and so i feel like i'm in a good point where i'm like i have like a ton of work to do but i actually feel like i have like a really solid path it's just like executing so are you able to talk about that other project or is it a pitch or you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to? Yeah, I don't want I, mean, I don't want to talk about it just yet. Like, okay. you know, I'm pretty confident it's going to end up somewhere, but I don't want to like put this thing out there and then just have like people laugh at me four years from now. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Jasper? 
<laughs> JB's wearing a uh, Jasper Juvenile Jasper Juvenile shirt while he says that Jasper. So you know it's all peace and love. Oh. And wink and nod. Yeah. <laughs> so I do want to talk about Rust Belt Review, which uh, you know if you're a longtime listener of the show, you've been hearing the ads. If you don't have a copy, it's crazy. Promo code Gutter get you a couple bucks off of it. Assuming that still works, Sean. Sorry, yeah, that's taking money work. out of your pocket. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, and I'm not just saying this because Sean is right here. I am a I am a size queen when it comes to books, and this is a large <laughs> format. Nine by twelve. Cam shoves every issue that he gets into his ass. <laughs> but no, 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 no. I love the magazine format, and this is bigger than your standard magazine. It's nine yeah. by twelve, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great paper stock. I love looking at art uh, at that size. But yeah. all that aside, the contributors are you know previous guests, so we'd be a little biased, you know, putting them over. But you're doing a great job with the book. Thank um, you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's what what is it September now? Um, it'll be on my December year end list as far as best comic of the year i'm relieved thank you yeah <laughs> no I, I and uh you know i buy every issue um the production is incredible which is in part because you're overseeing it you're putting yeah. it yourself at your yeah. where you're working but you are changing gears and you know you're not just driving you know the book entirely as you know an editor as someone who's been in comics you know what made you want to do an anthology there's tons of anthologies out there but the cream rises to the top yeah. including your book yeah i want to you know, like I want to have a slightly different approach. So like, I feel like there's a couple different types of anthologies out there. And like, I think they're really effective. Like the one that I think is the most effective is like what Sammy's doing with Kramer's, which is like, he's just like, he's curating work until he gets a book ready. You know, like the book will be ready when it's ready when he has the work. And like all those books, they have a very distinct flavor to them. And I think that's a really effective way to put the anthology together. But the problem with that is like, it takes a long time. Um, and I feel like the other anthology that I see a lot is like the theme anthology, which is like not one I'm as excited about. Um, I, I think I understand the appeal of it, but it's like not personally like how I like to read anthologies. So I wanted to make something that did have like a variety of like non-themed material, but I wanted it to be a venue for people to kind of work on larger projects or just at least to just like feel like they're participating in the community a little bit more. Um, and because of the pandemic, the like shows aren't happening. So it seemed like a good opportunity to be like, I'm just I'm going to reach out to people um, and, you know, they have space to do their story and like I can be as hands on and or hands off as as they would like um, as an editor or, you know, and just put out like the best looking printed book I can with that material. So I reached out to some people and we've got going. We got some serialized stuff, some one off stuff. And I need to start reaching out to some more people again. Because so I will say I have like an open call right now. And like I invite whoever to pitch an idea to me, like a couple paragraphs and like a link to their website. But like, I mean, as always seems to be the case, like the only only people that seem to have like the guts or like the the, the gumption to do that are just like white dudes are just like, oh, I have a great idea for a comic. It's like, I know you do. Like, you'll right. <laughs> so I need to like start reaching out to people and be like, no, I think you, I would like, really like to have you in my anthology. Like, you know, so I need to do a little bit more of that. So. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask, because uh, I know, obviously, the first two were curated. You've got some stories that are going multiple issues. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did see that you're doing open, you know, call for submissions. And I was wanting to know how that went. That was my next question. You already answered that yeah. there. But let's just say you do continue to accept open submissions. What are you looking for as an editor of an anthology? I mean, you know, you could be as yeah. broad as you want here or as specific, you know, with Rust Belt. Yeah, sure. So... I think like even as I've I've worked on this project, I've learned a few things. Like at first I was like I was like really on board for doing serialized work, but I think there is there is some setbacks to it. 
uh, doing like a serialized thing. So I think like I'm kind of veering away from encouraging serialized work. Although if someone has like a like a larger project they'd like to pitch, I'd, I'd entertain the idea. But I'm kind of looking for comics that aren't based in like genres so much. It's just like gen- general fiction. Like I'm just mm-hmm. for general fiction comics that are like eight to twelve pages long that work really nicely in black and white and that hopefully feel very satisfying that at that page length. And I think that's a really big and specific ask. But um, I feel like the format of Rust Belt Review and, like, the way things work, I feel like people have a lot of freedom because, like, one, like, the format is, like, you know, it's a really large size, but, like, the actual, like, dimensions, like, they can be shrunk down to, like, a lot of really nice scene sizes. So if, like, somebody wanted to take that work and collect it elsewhere, it'd be pretty simple to do. Um, And, of course, like, everyone owns the rights to all their work or whatever. So, like... You know, that allows people that are like trying to do like interesting short comics to actually have a venue to do those comics and then like eventually collect them. Because I really liked that's something I really liked about Mome. Oh, yeah. It was like a great anthology. Yeah. You know, like they also did like a lot of serialized stuff. And I kind of, I now I can kind of see why they veered away from that too. But Mm -hmm. with like, especially like a lot of the shorter comics, like the, you know, there's like, that Dash Shaw collection that came that that came out of that. Like yeah. I love that. And like Eleanor Davis's collection is also really fantastic. So um I think some really great projects came out of people that were just like kind of chipping away at it through through anthology work for a number of years. So So I do want to ask about the future of Rust Belt Review. I know you said you personally were uh, working on, you know, stories for it up to issue four. Is this going to be one of those things that you have, uh, you know, an end amount of issues, you know, that you see in the future? Are you going to kind of keep it alive as long as it sells? Do you? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the initial plan was I wanted to see how people responded to it within the first year, you mm-hmm. know, and like, and from there, I was going to kind of like reassess and kind of go from there. I think, you know, in the future, maybe I would change the trim size, although I, I really do love it. I'm also a size queen. Hell yeah. <laughs> so that might not be something I changed, but there could be other things I change about. For instance, like maybe I, I won't do it every three months at a certain point, but at least until I finish my project and like the people that have also signed on to do like serialized stories with me until until that stuff's done like i'm gonna stick to the quarterly releases and the the trim size but i'm open to anything because like i just want this to be sustainable so if that means like i need to change the way i'm doing things in the future i'd be willing to do it so for sure so uh let's uh talk a little bit about issue three that's coming up what's going on in it yeah there's like there's a there's a, like a couple things I'm really excited about for it. Like I guess the first thing about issue three is like um, I always try and have like a little goodie to include with like pre-orders. And for this issue, we have like a three color Rizzo print that uh, Audra Stang drew, and she also drew the cover for this issue. So those are two things I'm stoked about. In terms of contributors, we have like a lot of people returning. We have a, a couple of new faces that I'm pretty excited about. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Andrew White's work, but he does like uh, poetry comics, kind of. I'm a huge fan of Andrew White, yeah. and um, I like huge fan. I buy every uh, comic he's done. I've been buying yearly the past three years. Uh, hearing that he's going to be contributing a story is amazing. Actually, you know, um, I don't know how much of it comes out in my work, but whenever I'm working on a comic, I always have an Andrew yeah. White comic nearby because he's so good at like. I feel like sometimes I'll be working too much in a panel, and Andrew's like perfect when it comes to like what to show. Like some of his stuff is so minimal from an approach standpoint, and it's just perfectly executed. Is like all you need. To know yeah. in his comics yeah on top of that like um i'm also like kind of like stretching into doing articles and stuff so like this issue i'm i'm going kind of I'm testing the waters with a, a type of article i'm doing an article that's a kind of about like the process of printing from home like printing your own comics from home and like how to do that on the cheap because that's like a thing i did for a very long time um so in this issue i'm going to kind of go over like how like what stuff you can buy for super cheap and how like you can like print a comic from your home on a, on a super tight budget 
Um, so, and that, it's going to have a pretty cool little surprise with that too. So, and I think that's really fucking awesome because, you know, um, a lot of comics, you know, people don't know that kind of stuff and don't even really think to ask, you know, yeah. because it's something that's just kind of unspoken. You figure it out on your own. And I really think that's a nice guide. Yeah. Um, so it'd be cool to include in articles like that. I, I really like that idea and I'm excited to see where it goes. I'll be ordering every single issue <laughs> the day it comes out like Appreciate I have it. been. Yeah. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough. You know, it's very biased. A lot of my friends are in it. You know, you're in it. You make incredible work. Um, and uh, we do have some not listener questions because we're off the grid. But uh, we've got some questions from people here at the Cartoonist Retreat. Uh, So let me go ahead and uh, get those ready here. Okay. First question from MS Harkness. When Tiger's wife was prego, they said he'd lose his edge. As an upcoming father, do you think this will happen to you? I think having a child will make me edgier than ever. I think I'll be... That anger's got to go somewhere. (laughs) I think I'm going to... Right on the kid. (laughs) No, no, no. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be like a hot button comedian, but for comics after this. Like a a regular like a regular Louis CK. Hell yeah. There you go. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Just kidding. All righty. Next question came from uh, you know, a friend of the show, previous guest, Rust Belt Review contributor, Audra Stang. Uh, what are some of the challenges of being an editor that you didn't learn until you ventured away from making your own stuff? When do you know that you need to step in and make editorial choices, et cetera? Yeah. So I think um, a big thing for me is like the, the the general spirit of like Rust Belt Review is like, I just want I want to give people as much space as they want to like to develop their project. But then I discovered like some people want a different relationship with their editor. And um, and it's kind of been like a learning process to kind of figure out exactly like what works best for people. You know, like everyone has like a different form of that. I think some people really want like a response about their work. And like, I think they're certainly entitled to it. And I think some people just kind of want to like send me their pages and like just have that relationship. So I think that I think I feel like there's definitely an art to it. And I have a long way to go to like kind of master, like kind of like understanding what the, the needs of any particular contributor are in terms of like editorial intervention. Okay, Alex Knowles asked, ask about the Timothy McVeigh idea in his head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, I am... I, I'm fascinated with like uh, like just any kind of like subculture in general. Like I I'm I'm a people watcher at heart. Like anywhere I go, I'm always just kind of like observing like how groups are formed or how people react one, around one another. Um, so be it like the small press expo or like or political groups, I, I I kind of become fascinated with that. And so because of that, I was kind of fascinated with like the the mid to late 80s slash 90s like movement of like white supremacists and neo-nazis because mm-hmm. like you know as a leftist hey they're just libertarians come on <laughs> <laughs> they're just asking yeah. questions yeah 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 for sure but i feel like in that realm there's like there's not a lot of like perspective on what that movement was about at least from like a, a the lens of a leftist like so like there i think there's a lot of territory to, to explore in terms of understanding what people believe and why they believe it and like how that's important and how that can be destructive but also how that's like a like that's a powerful and meaningful thing. So when it comes to someone like Timothy McVeigh, who I think is like an absolutely disgusting human being, like I, I think there's a lot of unexplored territory for who he was and what he was involved with. And I think, I don't think that's by accident. Like I think our culture doesn't want to confront white supremacy in a way that they would need to, to speak about Timothy McVeigh honestly. So that's something I'm sort of fascinated with right now. So, do you ever plan on making that into a book? I mean, he said it was an idea in your head. Do you ever plan <laughs> on exploring that on the page? 
Maybe, yeah, yeah. After the kid's out of the house. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I think, you know, it's, I think it would be an interesting project, but like, there's a lot of reasons why maybe I wouldn't want to do that. So we'll see. (laughs) Well, I can tell you right now, just, you know, as far as like being a quote unquote, like mainstream type book, you've got something there. I think that would sell to libraries, bookstores, etc. I mean, that's like kind of crime, baby. Make that money. Exactly. I feel like that's that book. If that book were to ever happen, that'd be like the most that'd be the closest thing I'd ever have to like a a mainstream appeal book. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't bad. I mean, I think it would be an interesting story and I know you'd pull it off. So yeah, I think you just got to know your audience with that stuff. And I think the audience for that, I I, I just got to, I got to learn more about that audience. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All righty. So I'm not going to ask this last question because they, uh, Caroline gave me some Pee Wee's Playhouse cards and they asked your thoughts on them. Um, so they looked really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just ask whatever was nearest to them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tell me about the water bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. So before we get out of here with Sean, I just want to let you all know that uh, we are doing a giveaway of his uh, collected edition of Rust Belt from Secret Acres. Uh, all you need to do to be entered in this giveaway is uh, purchase an issue of Rust Belt Review 3, use the promo code GUTTER, and uh, we'll enter you in a drawing, and one lucky winner will receive a copy of Sean's book, Rust Belt, in the mail from us. Uh, me and JB will even sign it for you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all, all our hard work on, on that book. Fine. <laughs> no, but um, before we get out of here, Sean, you know, this has been, Sean's one of those people, I say this about a lot of guests on the show, but we talk about having them on the show for a long time, so it's finally glad to you know get you here um really excited to get this out there uh before we do get out of here though where can people find you online get your books etc sure i mean the only barrier to you finding me on the internet is spelling my name so if you can go to sean knickerbocker on instagram it's just all one word sean knickerbocker s-e-a-n-k-n-i-c-k-e-r-b-o-c-k-e-r probably just look at the podcast listing for my name there but (laughs) you can check out my instagram sean knickerbocker i'm available at sean knickerbocker.com you can also go to rustbeltreview.org and check me out there too nice and the last name is spelled exactly how it sounds absolutely yes that that makes it super (laughs) easy i think okay well sean thanks so much for coming on the show again really really awesome to finally have you on uh, we'll be reporting back uh, on the next episode with uh, another interview. Who do we have? We've got Blake, right? No, we're going to get... These are going to be a lot of work. Oh, yeah. It's some <laughs> random person at this fucking cabin. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> next episode, we will announce who the, wins the Rust Belt. Yes, uh, but the next episode, we will announce who wins a free copy of Rust Belt by Sean Knickerbocker. So, uh, I guess keep your uh, ears and toes. Open your hearts and wallets. There you go. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right, so we're going to keep getting drunk, I guess. Uh, you know, stay gutter. <laughs> Proclamation, we have seen the